0: You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church.
1: But it'd be good before your kids graduate to go, um, before they launch from your home to go, here's what Song of Songs is. And there's not going to be a kid's Bible that has a Song of Solomon book. You should write that. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's work on it.
2: (laughs) But the earlier they learn that, the more pain and suffering they can escape, right? And the Bible says that life's hard and that we're going to suffer either way, but it's better to suffer for doing good. If we suffer for doing good, that's a blessing and comes with blessing. But if we suffer foolishly just for disobedience in our life, then that's just sad. We can avoid that actually.
0: You know, she's going to have sin vents that I've either contributed to, probably most likely have contributed to, Um, But that does not, that's not the end of her story.
1: This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Mrs. Cassie Bryant. How are you doing today, Cassie? I'm doing great. Good. Yeah. And of course, my lovely wife, Chelsea Griffin. How are you doing today, Chelsea? Chelsea who? Griffin, I think I said.
0: With it. Kind of sound like gruffin. <laughs> gruffin. Which, which I like the
1: sound of. Gruffin. Gruffin. You guys
0: have a great last name. Thank,
1: Thank you. you. Rhymes with mm, nothing, really. Muffin.
0: muffin. Was, no,
1: Griffin and muffin don't rhyme. Uh, this, gruffin. This just gruffin in, and Griffin does. and muffin do not
2: rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> I had a PE teacher in elementary school who always called me a ragamuffin.
1: Oh, doesn't that mean like a little mess?
2: Well, here's the thing. Remember that
0: I didn't know I had curly hair till like eighth grade,
1: so I was always just.
2: <laughs> I was going to say
0: my little list is curly haired, but I didn't know she's it. kind of. Yeah, but she's kind of a hot mess too. So, Not in a like, bad way, so I but.
2: just I just brush it straight back and then put it in a ponytail, so that created a real ragamuffin look.
1: Yeah, uh, if you can
2: picture the kind of like. Did it have a lot of volume? Probably. There's just like a lot, like a halo of frizz around my head <laughs> a and I just, I was, and I lived for PE. Like I was just, that's all I look forward to at yeah. school, you know? And he was just like, here's my little ragamuffin. I was like
0: I don't know what you mean by that, buddy.
2: <laughs> Lolly's <laughs> got to where she
0: brushes her hair upside down and then she flips and it's just like a giant fluff of red curls. <laughs> all right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, today we're doing a Q&A episode as we wrap up this season. We've had some incredible episodes this season, by the way. I've been so grateful for the guests, the topics. But today our topics come straight from you, the listener. And so we once again have more questions that we're gonna have time to get into. But uh, I'm gonna try to get us to as many as I possibly can. So let's, let's start with kind of a, a layup one that we talk about all the time. Cassie, let's start with you. How do you manage doing ministry and leading your own family, family life?
0: Uh, I think it helps to not see them as totally separate things. That's That's good. That's one of the ways we manage it is that, and one of the ways my boss has allowed me to manage it is that ministry and motherhood are not enemies of each other, but they're right. they're partners. So I'm a better, you told me this, Adam, but I'm a better minister because I'm a mom and I'm a better mom because I'm a minister. And when those two things are not true, I have to reevaluate like our priorities and what's, why am I feeling the tension in the pool? And, and yeah. sometimes there is the pool. I mean, it's a full-time job and any working mom is going to feel that tension, but because it's ministry, I do my best to incorporate. I mean, a couple Sundays ago, Lolly was up and dressed. I think she might've slept in her clothes and she came in while I was getting ready to get to walk out on a Sunday morning, and she was like, "Can I please come with you?" Yeah, and I didn't say no. I was like, "Yes, girl, come with me." Mm. So, you know, they they get to come and be part as much as allows. They get to come be part of it, and that's yeah. really been really really sweet.
1: I think for us too, it's a team effort. Like mm-hmm. we have a we have friends at the church who certainly help with mm. ministry and family. So, yes. it, you know, the demands of ministry sometimes what's difficult difficult about them are that you're working with people who have jobs. And so they want your time when they're not working, which means it's typically when your kids don't have school. Mm -hmm. So that's nights and weekends is a a lot of ministry, which means if your kids are in school right now and it's not in your own home, then that could challenge how much time you actually get to spend with your kids. So it is a delight to us as parents, uh, Chelsea and I both work, to have a team of people who, who love our kids, other families who invite our kids over into their homes. And I think, you know, similar to what you're saying, Cassie, we have a philosophy at our church that while it's not, the rule that your kid can do your job with you every day is not bring your kids to work. Right. It is a, a sweet treat to be able to do it on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, anything else you would say about that?
2: Yeah. Adam Adam has some good philosophy about snacks at church, which is that mm-hmm. like he tries to keep uh, the break room in the at the church office really sure. stocked with good snacks so oh, that yeah. so that kids, all the staff kids are happy to be there it's just one little thing to make them feel delighted.
1: Right. You know, what's crazy is we have like uh, cookies and, and and goldfish crackers and candy. And, you know, it's not to bribe them, but it is to try to create like, hey, the church is a delight to yeah. be here. What are we going to do? And we had a family that you know and love come in this last week and they they stopped by our snack room. They're, they're members of our church. And they were like, oh my gosh, you guys have the best snack room. And I was like, <laughs> oh, thank you. And do you know what they said? Chelsea, you know what the snack was that they loved in there?
2: Um, the meat sticks.
1: No, it was... Yeah. Seaweed bars, oh god, uh, which arrived at our church because nobody what? else, somebody had bought them for themselves and didn't like them. Yeah, so that all oh, drop them off in the snack room at church, and uh, I thought, God, no one will ever eat those. And I just told that family, you take every, you single can have one all of, of the
0: seaweed bars. But yeah,
1: it is not always easy to manage doing ministry and family life. I will say that, but I think some of the philosophies we have is is being part of a church that values that yeah. you are in uh, that you are both a parent and. In ministry, yeah, we get
0: to show kids that they're part of the church too. Yeah, if you're at a church where that's not true, then it's like, I think the culture can shift.
1: One, I think too, our our church, without being like, without fishing for it, we're not saying like we have said like, hey, support your pastors. Our job is harder than others, but without that, there, our church has really risen to the occasion. I think even this week there was a family from our church who was like, hey, it's uh, we're recording this on Good Friday, and so it's a busy week for our church, and there was a family this week that was like, hey, can we buy your kids hot lunch at school? Because it's um, a busy week for your family, that way you don't have to pack lunches. Yeah, it was, so uh, really so kind. kind. Yeah,
2: we're like the single guys home group. That this was so sweet. They they've been over here for men's discipleship with Adam before, and so they've they've done you know family div- bedtime devos with the boys before. When men men come over for discipleship, they do that all together with our boys, and so they know all all of that. And so they were like, well, what if we just had our home group at your house one night mm. so that you guys could go out for a date and we can do devotionals with the boys, then go to bed and then we can have our home group time and y'all can stay out and have a date night. And I was That's like, that awesome. is so thoughtful, so yeah. sweet. And it was so awesome for our boys to yeah. get to hang out with these single men that are getting together to read God's word and pray together. And I, we're just blessed
1: by that of right. like, yeah,
2: we want our boys to see that. that yeah. There's adult men in the church that are following
0: Christ.
1: So of course every family and every church is different, but we're grateful for Eastside, the church that we get to be part of. And that makes it a little bit easier because we got to foster some of that yeah, philosophy. I love that. Okay. Question for you, Chelsea. Here's a here's one. Oh, How huh. do you handle boys making pretend weapons out of anything? How do you what do you do? You're the you're the boy mom here, wearing your boy mom t-shirt and your boy mom mug and you got your, <laughs> your boy mom headband on. What do you do about boys who make weapons out of everything?
2: Uh, For clarity's sake, I don't own anything that says boy mom (laughs) on it. Uh, I say, let him do it. I say, go for it. I don't think much of it. I think it's funny how like, even if you are purposeful about being like, okay, we're not going to buy toy guns because, you know, we feel this way about guns, like a boy will take a stick or a piece of string, it doesn't matter what it is. A lot of boys will make a weapon out of absolutely anything. So true. Yeah. And um, I think from a spiritual perspective, I think it's great to build up the fact that men are called by God to lead and protect and defend and fight for what's good. And, you know, in our family, what we say with our boys as it pertains to like actual violence, hitting, kicking, punching, whatever is, we say, when is it okay to hit or kick or punch? And they know that the answer is to protect If they have to fight to protect someone, they may fight.
1: And anything else is off limits.
2: Is off limits, right? Right. That's not good use of your strength. So we do talk about like, how do we use our strength? Why did God give you strength? And if typically, I'm not saying all men are stronger than all girls, but I'm just saying that body composition wise, it is common for a man to be stronger than a woman. And we would say that points to God's call to protect and defend and care for not to abuse or to harm, and so just teaching our boys how to sh- how to wield strength, and so where boys have like it, some of them seem to have an innate desire to like play fight, play war. I wouldn't get too worked up about it. We do wouldn't, have some. We do have some practical
1: rules. So you do though. let them play, fight. Yeah, but we will let them. We have rules. Like if they're if they're actually using real like Nerf guns, like we're not shooting anybody in the face. We're not shooting anybody in the in the, the bathing suit areas. We're not uh, <laughs> we with sticks or with lightsabers. It's you can you can strike the stick against the stick, the lightsaber against the lightsaber, but not against the person. You know, we have some yeah. You some can't limitations. intentionally hurt somebody,
2: but if they're right. just like playing around, I mean, our kids don't play like. First person shooter games or like right. you know, scary video games where kids can play like Wii Sports and Mario Kart. In Mario Kart, you can shoot somebody with a shell. And that may be too violent for somebody. Yeah. You know, go with your convictions. Yeah. Listen to the spirit totally. in your life.
1: And if you have a kid who cannot handle it, like cannot, yeah. is making weapons out of things and hurting people, or you're concerned because he's constantly pointing things at your head, pretending it's a gun and pulling an imaginary trigger for real. You are welcome as a parent to yeah. say, we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. We're done with that. You can't be trusted with that responsibility, even of a pretend weapon.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Adam, here's one for you. Can I read oh, this one?
1: Oh, okay. Let's go. Oh,
0: turn in the tables. No, if I'm going to ask Tables the questions. are turned. No, no. Holy week. Adam, what sorts of things do you write in the Bibles you're journaling in for your boys? Oh, you know
1: what? That's a question I actually get asked on a regular basis, uh, which is surprising to me. I don't know. That's apparently just giving a practical example from our house that I didn't give enough follow through on, but we do. I have journal Bibles that I'm, uh, I write in for our boys that will be given to them probably on their baptism day or maybe at a certain birthday one day. And so what I'm doing in those is not necessarily writing a note to my kids. I'm writing little notes about the text. So sometimes I'm writing there like, hey, this means this. But typically, because I'm having in mind that I'm going to give this Bible to my son one day, I am writing, hey, I hope that we can live up to this, or I pray this for you, or I'll say, notice this. Or I might write in just literally a little prayer like, hey, this makes me think about this in you. And uh but a lot of pages I'm just writing, here's what this text means to me, you know, because I want them to one day have something that hopefully they outlive me. And the Bible maybe even outlives that Bible outlives me. And they have some yeah, some insights that I that I pull from the word.
0: I love that I have my grandfather's Bible and uh it was given to me by my grandmother at Christmas last year. He passed oh. away like ten years ago. Wow. And uh she'd just been holding on to it and it has like all of his notes and mm. little slips of paper. It's just precious because it is yeah. it's outlived him and it's now it's like a it's a just a treasure it's in our home it's an heirloom in our home yeah. yeah i love it
1: all right here's a hot dinger for you here cassie oh no how do you handle disrespectful attitude in elementary kids come now, on we let's go know. cassie i've never interacted with a disrespectful elementary You've kid but never maybe you interacted. have yeah no
0: yeah when a kid is being disrespectful like i'm going to use church as an example because that's a space where we are exercising authority over elementary kids that has been given to us by parents when they drop them off so, so when a kid is being disrespectful, I mean, you can just shut it down. And I mean, that, that could work in the moment, but there's an opportunity to um, explain to them why our speech is important mm-hmm. and the way that we talk to people is important. And that we're not going to dishonor others by the way that we talk. We're not going to call names. We're not, you know, all of that. And so we can look in James, in the book of James about the tongue and about speech and why that's important. And so it's an opportunity to talk to the heart you know, to really point to them to the heart about why they're being disrespectful. And that can feel tired, especially if a kid is disrespectful all the time. So at right. some point, if this is in a church setting, then at some point it's inviting the parents into that and just saying, hey, this is a pretty consistent theme. They're disrespecting their leader. They're disrespecting other kids. Totally. These, are, these are the verses we've talked about. We've prayed and we'd really love to invite you into helping us shape this.
1: I, I always want to think through this and part of this because I struggle with it is I want to model to them in the way I address their disrespect in a way that is the kind of behavior I want to receive from them. So if I am being harsh with them because they're being harsh with me, that's that's not my best method. If I'm saying, you don't talk to people like that. You know, we don't, we don't talk to people like that. And if they talk to me in that exact manner, I'd be like, that's the example I'm talking about. Then I'm actually showing them and demonstrating for them exactly the behavior I'm trying to overcome. So I want to be peaceful, respectful in the way that I address disrespect. Let's talk about this one. Uh, somebody asked, how do we manage grandparents that live far away and the others live close? I, I have heard this a lot mm. and we've counseled several marriages on this. It's not uh, something that our family is dealing with. I don't know if Cassie, if you've done this, but I know a lot of people, you know, you've different uh, dynamics here but it doesn't even have to be live far away, live close. Sometimes it's just live in the same city we're going to visit. And you have what I call the the stopwatch grandparent that says, how many hours did you get with them? And they compare that to how many hours they get. And anytime that you have a parent or a grandparent who feels owed or like you have a debt to them because the other parent is closer or they feel like it is any kind of competition, you need to overtly handle that in a way that relieves them of that. Mm. That says, hey, just so we're clear, we love you. There's no competition between the two of you. And it's okay to set up some really clear boundaries on, hey, this is how much time we're going to spend at that house. This is how much time we're going to be at this house over this holiday or on this trip, or this is when we're coming up there again, or it may not be for a while, or you're welcome to come down here at this point. And it is okay to set some boundaries and communicate. This is because we love you. Because we love you, want to invite you in, or because we love you, we're coming to visit. Uh, But it is not saying anything about competition. You guys have anything on that one?
2: Yeah, I'd say like, To explain that there's no way I could promise to make them equal. You know, in a divided family, like for example, when people are getting a divorce, it's when you split things up 50 50, right? Right. That's where things have to be equal. But in a family where we love each other, things are gonna be uneven sometimes. And just, we really wanna encourage our parents to know that, like, please don't try to measure my love by exactly Mm. how many hours I'm here, or please don't, don't interpret time spent anywhere else that's not with you as a lack of love for you. So to reassure them uh, of love and to really invite them into more freedom than that. Yeah. And to
1: empathize. Mm -hmm. I imagine like one day when I'm a grandparent and I gotta, I gotta go, what would this feel like for me if I loved my grandkids and I wanted to see you and maybe our relationship was strained or hurt, but how could I, how could I show that kind of level of respect and love Mm -hmm. That I would want to receive as a grandparent.
2: Yeah, I'm going to want my grandbabies all the time. I know, um, but that would be a really heavy weight to yeah. put on our children to say, like, I I only feel loved if I get X amount, or especially if it's not really the amount; it's just as long as it's more than somebody else in right. their life that they love. But that's not genuine love. That's, that's just what I'm like saying. that. That's really you've made it about yourself at that point. Exactly. That's very hurtful. And if and if the grandparents claim Christ, mm. then we need to have a God centered conversation. Totally about what love looks like and and how we can ask our parents to love us yep.
0: to say, yeah. There's also, we live in a day and age where it's like being far away doesn't mean you cannot still have like a really important influence in someone's life. And mm-hmm. so I right. think getting creative with FaceTime and uh, I have an aunt who loves my girls so much and we live, they live in Colorado, so they're far away, but she sends them packages all the time, she's like, I don't want them to forget who I am. I want them to know who I am, and so yeah. she sends them stuff, and she and they get so excited. That's and so we get to sweet. see her maybe once a year, maybe once every other year, but they know who she is, and she's just found a way, kind of into their hearts, to say like, "I love you." I want to have influence in your life, and she's kind of, you know, taken ownership of how she how that looks. And uh, that's such them. a sweet, immature response, too. Totally to say like
2: instead of putting the onus on you and saying like i'd like to guilt you to coming into colorado more or you know you make this happen she's basically said like if i want a relationship with these girls i'm gonna i'm gonna pursue it yeah and so here's what i'm gonna do and that's awesome yeah
1: hey friends it's march and that means easter is right around the corner in fact easter is in march this year it's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, Family 10, to get 10% off your entire order. Hey, listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at Lifeway.com and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero. At Lifeway.com, the new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. Well, I love what you you connected it to, to the divorce conversation, because it's really easy in a divorce and it's really easy in a grandparent uh, debate to turn the kids into a commodity that somebody is owed or to weaponize them. Like, well, then you're not going to get time with the kids if you're going to do that, or I'm not going to give the kids to you, or because you're acting that way, you're not going to get it. Do not turn your children into a product to be battled over. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. not fair to them either. Remember that they are people with relatives. And while you don't owe somebody something just because they are related to you, if they have misbehaved or it's not working out or you can't afford it. I also think it's okay to say, like, kids, just so you know, kids, you're free from that if they're pressuring you or Mm -hmm. if they're saying these kind of things to you. Hey, we had several people ask about discipline. One person says it like this, how do you discipline biblically in our culture that seems to push gentle and attachment parenting style? We've talked about that idea of like, hey, you need to be their kind of buddy, you're their friend, you're... You're being so sweet, or we know people who like never say no, let's just find more ways to be permissive. Somebody else said it like this. How do you discipline a one-year-old, so this is more specific, that's beginning to be defiant, but still too young to understand? Uh, Chelsea, I know I've heard you speak on this really eloquently. When a kid is not old enough to actually feel it in their heart or not understand why we're doing this, how do you discipline that kid? But also maybe help us uh, a broader picture too of just discipline that doesn't involve... Um, the kind of parent attachment style.
2: Just to be clear, I haven't read any books on attachment style parenting, so I'm not sure I even know what all that in, entails, but <laughs> I would say to pursue the scriptures and, and to trust God with the fact that his word, the Bible says that all scriptures, God breathe and useful for correction and training. Right. And so we can trust God, we can trust his word. And so apply the word of God to your heart and to your lifestyle. Because the word of God does speak about it, right? In Hebrews, the writer talks about knowing that we are legit sons because we receive discipline, right? Mm. And so there are a lot of children in the church that Adam and I love and care about, but we mostly just discipline ours. And so ultimately, it's it's the discipline and authority that really helps a child understand I belong, right? And the Bible says the same thing about God the Father, that God disciplines the yeah. child he loves because we're his. And so that is a good thing. I can tell you that in working in healthcare, I see people all the time who are dealing with painful consequences for their choices as adults. Yeah, And all of those consequences are so much more painful mm. than what we would apply to a two-year-old or a three-year-old. And so it it's really struck me that... Yeah it is important for my children to understand that choices have consequences. And when choices are directly disobedient to mom and dad or to God, then they are often gonna come with painful consequences. But the earlier they learn that, the more pain and suffering they can escape, right? And the Bible says that life's hard and that we're gonna suffer either way, but it's better to suffer for doing good. If we suffer for doing good, that's a blessing and comes with blessing. But if we suffer foolishly, just for disobedience in our life, then that—that's just sad. We can avoid that actually, um, and so we love to teach our kids that obedience brings joy. So when there's a painful consequence, we remind them that obedience brings joy. That if you had obeyed, then we wouldn't be—you wouldn't be enduring X, Y, or Z right now. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Well, that sometimes think, consequences are painful, and we don't have to be afraid of that. We can trust what God's word says yeah, about good. discipline that is hard.
1: That's good. In the, in the specific question of a one-year-old, I think it's important too to say we're not—we would never recommend deprivation or neglect Mm-mm. or something uh, overly harsh with a child. To say this is the only way we're going to be able to get through to them is to to take away what they need. Mm-mm. You know that a, a one-year-old has very simple needs, and because a one—a baby is born as a tyrant without manners, they are going to have a lot of demands from you, and you are not going to meet every demand. Uh, you're going to meet reasonable demands and you're going to love and show affection to them. And sometimes your love looks like not giving them everything they want right when they want it. And that may mean putting up with tears. It may mean putting up with the only way they know how to express themselves is uh, screaming at you. That may be the case. Yeah, And there are... Uh, certainly I wouldn't recommend uh, losing your temper in that moment Mm -hmm. to say, hey, that will scare them or or depriving them of something like food and say, that's the only way I'm going to get through to them. No, Mm -hmm. you go, this is a one-year-old. And a one-year-old, understandably, doesn't have other ways to communicate other than throwing something on the floor or screaming at me. And you may need to take a break and take a breath and come back to it. Discipline is different at different stages. And that's that's because expectations are different. I do think uh, generally the more locked down you are on privileges when they're younger, and then the more ability you'll have to loosen them up later. Yeah. If you start with, let's let the kids do whatever they want, and then we'll lock it down when they do something they shouldn't, you're going to have a really hard time rolling that train backwards to That's say, true. we're going to take away some of those uh, privileges that you used to have. So yeah. uh, when we we really advocate sometimes for parents, or we'll hear parents say things like, I just want my kid to be able to like choose what they're going to wear and choose what they're going to do. And then if they start to make choices they don't like, I'll lock it down. I feel like, man, it's it's best mm-hmm. to start in the younger age with going, no, I'll, I'll make choices for you and with you. And then one day when you've proved yourself ready to make choices yeah. for yourself, then, then that's great. But We
0: created like training environments. We felt like if we could train at home... Then there would be less maybe discipline when mm-hmm. we were out like in public, especially these toddler stages, like yeah. a one-year-old. And so, if the if the goal was to be able to go into someone's house and our kid not break something that was glass, then we would create a space in our home first to train mm-hmm. around them. So surround that.
1: them with glass. No,
0: we would put a glass <laughs> on the table and have them in our lap. And every time they went to reach for it, we would just say, "No touch." Yeah. And we put their hand back down, and you would do it over. And then your heart and mind are prepared mm-hmm. for there to be constant. Yeah trying to touch that and then you would, you would, you know, exact whatever consequence you and your spouse said that you're going to do for that in order to train them. That way then when you're out and they go to touch something that you can say the phrase that you're using and then they don't do it and then everyone's marveling and it's like, well, we've just trained them. And then you're not in this position of like having to, in front of your friends or whoever discipline them because you haven't trained them. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, we do we do a lot of talk about expectations,
2: right. um really immediately before events. Um I don't know if this is right or wrong, but sometimes I tell my kids, you know, like if you're going over to this person's house for this thing, I say when I pick you up, I just I I just really think that Mrs. so and so is going to say, "Wow, your sons were so polite. They were very respectful." it was a pleasure to have them. And I say, Oscar, Gus, Theo, I just really think she's going to say that because that I see that in you and I know yeah. that you guys um, can handle yourselves that way. So make sure when someone gives you something, you say, thank you. Make sure if someone offers you something you don't like, you say, no, thank you. And we just go, I, obviously I can't cover every little thing, but <laughs> you know, the boys went, last summer to the first funeral that was meaningful to them. Um, just trying to set expectations for what a funeral might be like, what they might see, what they might feel, how we act. Same thing with like a good Friday service, something that's somber and serious. And so we'd love for our boys to run and play in the sanctuary after church. That's really normal for them with other kids from church. And we love it. And, you know, Explaining before Good Friday services what this will be like and why it's like that. And we just do try to do a lot right. of expectation setting before things. Yeah. Even. I remember when my kids were so little, we went to a play date and I said, someone takes a toy. Do we hit? No. And just tried to set them up. What do you do? You're right. If someone Because a kid's going to try and take a toy. So you're like, you're reminding them
0: that's going to happen and you can have a prepared response. Yeah, Yeah.
2: and just to prepare them. Say, what do we do? Let's think about it so we're not just left to, you know, a two-year-old's impulses. And to say, you can come and talk to mom. Or you can say, no, thank you if someone does something to you. You you know, whatever. Just setting those expectations, giving my children, like you said, training and ideas ahead of time of what to expect and how well I handle it. And I think that continues to be helpful all the way
1: through. Mm -hmm all the way through. That's good. There's certainly, discipline is a really big conversation and nuance, too, by what your kids are struggling with, if they're neurodivergent, if they if they have uh, different abilities or different attitudes. And, you know, if you're in a blended home or if you're a single parent, there may be just different dynamics at the child's age, how many kids you have, how they get along with each other. So discipline is difficult. It, a lot of things, I would say, are case by case, depending on the kid you have. And sure. while these general principles we've given are helpful, I'd always encourage you talk to somebody who knows and loves you that you trust about your particular kid, your particular circumstance. This is what we're hitting and somebody that's been there. And I think that's going to be really helpful for Mm. you too. Uh, We have a question that came in on one of our uh, reviews on, let's see, on Apple podcast. This person asked, Hey, so we don't leave. um, they're, They're asking about the full scope of theological teaching that we want our kids to have before they launch from our home. So how would we make sure that we've covered everything we want to cover before they graduate? To which I say, hey, read that Bible cover to cover and answer. every." This is a tough question because no matter what, when they graduate from your home or when they launch, there will be questions that if you have a good relationship with them, they will come back and ask you. And if you don't, they will look for the answer somewhere else because there is no way that you can cover every single question. But I think the question is so good and so valid because there is an effort we should be making to say, what are the questions I want my kid prepared for before they launch? And if launch from your family looks like before they go off to college or before they go get a job, those are things you want to prepare them for. But I think in general, there are some questions that churches increasingly shy away from. And parents, we need to really lean in. And I hope our churches lean in as well. But whether it's questions about sexuality or it's questions about eschatology, how the world will end, or whether it's questions about how the world began, uh, I don't want kids to graduate from high school, go off to college and somebody to be able to ask one simple question about dinosaurs. What does your church teach about dinosaurs? What does your family believe about dinosaurs as Christians? And then go, we never talked about it. And your whole theology just just crumbles.
2: It just unravels.
1: You're like, I guess we've been hiding. (laughs) Uh, But I really, you know, a lot of what we talk about boils down to, do you have a safe enough relationship with your child that they could ask you anything and not feel like they'll get harshly judged? And you'd be able to say, if I don't know the answer, let's find it out together. Mm -hmm. That's a great place to start is by building that level of trust. Just say, what are your questions? You can always bring your questions to me. And if I don't know the answer, we'll figure it out together. But when you ask about resources in general, I think the Bible, like Chelsea has talked about, is our first resource. That's what you want your kids to know before they leave. And I'll tell you, a lot of kids' Bibles will tell the same stories in each kid's Bible. So you'll have a David and Goliath story. You'll have a yeah. Daniel and the lion's den story. You'll have a couple of the women in the Bible mixed in. So you have a Ruth story. You have an Esther story. Then you get the New Testament. You have some disciple stories. But it'd be good before your kids graduate to go, um, before they launch from your home, to go, here's what Song of Songs is. And there's not going to be a kid's Bible that has a Song of Solomon Book.
0: You should
1: write that. Yeah. Well, okay, let's work on it. (laughs) Or here's what the book of Revelation is. There's a lot of churches that uh, don't love teaching Revelation, and a lot of families, you're not going to find it in most kids' Bibles, except for like a beautiful story about the end. But finding a time and planning as a family to go, when do we want to teach these things that Mm -hmm. aren't going to be in the kids' Bibles and maybe aren't going to be in our kids' Sunday school or confirmation class? And say, I don't want somebody to be able to point out something one day and say, did you know this is in the Bible? I bet they never told you about this. Yeah. Or I, they're going to ask you this. I bet they never answered that question. Yeah. And so I can't tell you what age for your family to do what, but I do love the question of yeah. what should we cover? Have Any a plan. thoughts for you guys?
0: Yeah, I think have a plan, but make it flexible. You yeah. might need to deviate from the plan. Also something that you teach them when they're eight, if they're asked about it when they're 20, they might not remember that you taught them Yeah. When they were eight. And that's okay because the foundation that you're laying for them is one of relationship with you, hopefully, that they would come and ask you a question. Uh, One that would be in humility if someone's challenging them that they would say, gosh, that's great. I don't know. Let me get back to you, friend, that's challenging my, you know, few points on the end times or whatever. And it's like giving them the space to be human and to not know everything or have to know everything. Uh, or their faith struggles. I mean, that's right. going to be, that's not setting them up to win. Yeah,
1: if you say like, everybody, <laughs> what I love about Christianity is we're not afraid of doubts because we believe yeah. we have a true faith. Yeah. There are, like, if you're in Mormonism or you're in Islam, there's kind of a a don't bring your doubts in here. Yeah, yeah we you don't have doubts. Put them doubts. on the shelf. Yeah. yeah, put them on the shelf. That's right. But for us, we say bring them up. Bring them anywhere. The other thing is
0: New City Catechism. I was just going to say one last thing. It's like they have a great scope in terms of, and then that's the question and response, which is more liturgical, but it's going to cover a lot. Um, And so that's another great resource. Yeah,
2: The church I went to in college did a fantastic job of a few things with college students. And so one thing that I would say they did a fantastic job of is teaching college students the real gospel and how to differentiate it from any sort of false gospel, that if anyone were to throw anything extra in there, Mm. anything that really contorts the gospel, that they taught us how to see that, right? They say, this is the one true gospel and anything else is false and not from the Lord. So they taught us how to discern the gospel, the real gospel from a false gospel. And then um, a lot about the security of salvation, which was helpful for me that kind of drove home the gospel. But then they taught, Um, After the Essentials of the Faith, then they taught inductive Bible study. And so if you only had the four years of college, if you weren't a family at that church and all you had was that, you left college with the ability to read the Bible for yourself, of how to study the Bible, and then how to tell, you know, a truth from a lot, basically. And so that launched me so well into adulthood because then when I went to, when I moved to Dallas... Anytime I went to any church, I was, I was listening closely saying, you know, is this true? Is this right? And then knowing how to look in the Bible mm-hmm. um, for, for real answers and how to read the Bible for myself and not be intimidated by it. So that was, that was awesome. And I thought to myself, like, that was so great. They did that for college students, but I would like to do that for my children, teach them That's how to good. read this word for themselves and teach them how to discern a lie from the truth.
1: That's excellent. Okay, here's a question from uh, Patreon. This is from Alexandra. This is a great question. She says she's a stay-at-home mom. She has one 16-month-old daughter, tends to be more cautious around others and attached to her. And Chelsea and Cassie, I know you guys have seen this. She'll drop her off at Kids Ministry and have a call to come get her 10 minutes later. It's really disheartening. Uh. So she has these internal comments that are like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm causing this. and Maybe this is part of her personality. She wants to know, do we have any advice on uh, av- avoiding viewing aspects of our child's personality as always a direct result of parenting choices. Uh, Like uh, maybe if you guys could just encourage her for a minute, but also speak to that question.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know what your church is like, but I would say just in the practical sense, we tell our families like, hey, try to be consistent, come to the same service, set them up on your way. Like, hey, we're going to church. Even when they're 16 months, like we're going to church, I'm gonna drop you off, but I'm gonna come back and pick you up. And if you know the teacher's name in that class, like maybe it would be valuable to like get the volunteer's name if that volunteer is consistent. And even if they're not consistent, I mean, invite someone over. So like if it's Miss Sarah, invite Miss Sarah over to hang out with your family. Yeah, that's a good idea. So that the 16-month-old is like seeing this person in your home and knows that you have a relationship and can build attachment or trust to them. Or maybe it's even asking the church, like, can I get a buddy for a season? Can I get one of your volunteers that can consistently be here when we're coming to kind of create an attachment there? And then... It's also okay. I mean, we've told people like, if you're okay with us letting them cry, then we won't call you. Like They're calling you because they're maybe afraid that you're going to be upset if you come an hour later and your kid has cried the whole time. But if you're okay with letting them be uncomfortable for yeah. a little bit, if the value is for you to get to have some time to worship uh, and then you come back, then kind of explore that maybe with your children's minister as well. But they might not have enough hands yeah. To do that, and that's okay. That's okay too. And then, uh, as for let's see, viewing aspects of our child's personality as a direct result of our parenting choices, this kind of speaks to our parent guilt. Like, of mm-hmm. course, the way we parent is going to shape their personality. So, yeah, yeah, we've talked about how like me being an anxious presence in our home is maybe what's shaping my oldest daughter's desire for perfection and you know fear of making mistakes and. Man, I can like not I can lose sleep over that and be like, have I caused this thing? But I also know theologically that like she is a sinner. She was born into the same sin that we were born into, <clears throat> that curse. And because of that, like she is her personality or her, you know, she's going to have sin bents that I've either contributed to, probably most likely have contributed to. Um, but that does not that's not the end of her story. And so right. Yeah, so like whatever it is that we're contributing to, we can trust that Jesus can redeem that and make our, I and my daughter whole, my daughter's whole. You know, yeah. so
2: yeah, I just want to encourage you, mom, out there. One, you're doing a great job. Yeah, you're trying to get to church, you're trying to get your kids in church, and it's hard. And and this age too is really like the peak of separation anxiety for kids. Totally. Um, and so don't please don't sweat it. Please don't guilt yourself. Kids like to be with mom.
1: Yep. And it's that's aw- good.
2: It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And um, man, I honestly love that stage. I was telling somebody the other day about like a stage um, our oldest boy went through that – and he, he was down to one nap and it was like a two-hour nap and he'd take the first hour in his crib, cry. I, would go, I think he was up. He really just wanted to take the second hour with me.
0: He <laughs> wanted to just nap
2: in my arms and it was the sweetest time. Uh, but of course, in the moment, you're it's like- hard to see, yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, you should have done, I, had, I thought I had two hours to do X, Y, or Z, but um, God knew better. And that was a really sweet phase and it didn't last forever. But when you are parenting, especially young children, every phase seems permanent. Totally. You know, and it seems like what is the way out? and it's hard to imagine that our kids will learn and grow and and flourish so I just say don't beat yourself up just keep going with the flow and I'd say too you know don't you think guys think that the older our kids get you see traits in them and you go you've always been like this yeah you know you have a risk averse kid I mean when when our oldest son was two, I couldn't convince him for anything to jump off of something or anything like that. He's like safety conscious from the moment he was born. Yeah, I I did not do this to him. Yeah. I know I didn't. Right. Um. But uh, But it can feel like
0: that. It can feel like every single thing a kid does is our individual yeah. fault. And, and it's because, kind of trust. It's trusting God has made them. Yeah. And in the way that they are yeah. for a reason. Yeah. And that being risk averse or whatever, yeah. it's like... That can lead to sin, but also lead to wisdom and caution as yeah. he gets older and learns our to use that. Our whole world
2: cannot be risk takers yeah. and our whole world cannot be highly risk averse, right? right. And so um, we just see God's glory reflected in all that and we don't have to... Um, just bear a heavy weight of yeah. guilt and shame over our kids' personalities or what they're going through. So you just keep on keeping on. Yeah. And this is gonna get worked out. Maybe it already has by the time we're doing this episode. That's so true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's good. Yeah, and I don't want to be the curmudgeon that comes in late and says, but also. But I, oh, I, I do yeah. think there's a there's a sense in our generation where if you tell somebody, here's my struggle, am I the cause? Everybody's like, oh, no, 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 you're not the problem. When the truth is, maybe there are some things that we need to change. And I'm not saying you what you described, I would not say, hey, we need to call you out on that. But to find somebody that you trust who's not gonna just tell you, I'm gonna pat you on the back and say, no, you're doing great. But to say, hey, well, let's try this. Get some wise counsel like Cassie and Chelsea just gave you to say, let's try something different, that's okay. I will say that uh, no matter what your kid is like, of course, there's going to be ways that they're formed that way because of the way you've parented them. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And always there's going to be problems. We, we're we just picking our problems. It's just, what, what is our kid going to end up struggling with? And I, I would say it like this. Parenting is constantly like a tightrope of too much and too little, where it's, oh, I'm with them too much. Oh, but what's too little? And we're just going back and forth. Chelsea and I just talked about this at a church recently, where it's just, hey, you got to be super involved in your kid's life, but not too involved. You got to uh, really help them uh, gain independence, but at the same time, you want to care for them really well, but you don't want to coddle them. And it's like always back and forth. There's not a perfect sweet spot, middle road where no problems ever happen. But what you see in their personality is I love to see in a kid something that you can see the Lord could use that for his good one day. Mm -hmm. The Lord could do with whatever their struggle is. If you have a strong-willed child, A, you have a kid who's really, really difficult and stubborn for you as a parent, That might be the greatest gift God gave them that stubbornness, Mm -hmm. that one day they are not going to just roll over when somebody tells them their faith is foolish. They're going to say, no way. I don't believe that. Yeah. That's going to be a great trait the Lord could use. Or if you have a kid who is uh, fill in the blank, you have a kid who's very risk averse, like we talked about, and you want to parent that right out of them. Maybe you are helping them say like, let's, let's face some challenges, but you can see that there's a shadow side and kind of a beautiful side to any trait they might have. What our prayers are is not necessarily that God changes every aspect of our kid, but rather that God uses whatever our kid is like for his glory. Right. You know, we'll hear from parents that say, well, what if my kid turns out to be uh, struggling with this attraction that I don't want them to have? Man, there are people that I love in the church who are now advocates for, uh, that are just incredible ministers in the midst of helping other people who struggle with the same thing they're struggling with. Mm -hmm. Maybe God's preparing our kid for that. And so whatever your kid is like, you can see how God might use that for good. And let's hope that's the case. He's very attached to his mom. Praise God. Maybe that's the yeah. beginning of a long-term relationship where that kid really trusts you. And while there are ways to at the same time breed independence for that child and not just put up with it, you don't need to parent that right out of them, nor do you need to feel guilt that you're the cause of something. Yeah. Okay, we have time for one more. This one also comes from Patreon. This person asked a similar question about church. How do you get your kids to engage in the main worship gathering Uh, They have boys that are five, nine, and 11. That's very actually similar to the Griffins. And they're only in the main gathering at this church for the first 20 minutes. But I love the description here. They struggle to hold it together. (laughs) By it, we mean, but they struggle to hold it together in worship. Uh, Cassie, you know this better than most, but there's a lot of churches that have different models. Sometimes the uh, the kids are in full-time, then they go to Sunday Mm -hmm. school. Sometimes they're for part of a service. Sometimes they're in service just every once in a while. How do you help a family think through engaging in the main worship gathering?
0: I think that uh, this kind of comes back to even what Chelsea was saying about setting some expectations before you go, uh, which you might be doing already, but um, just having some clear expectations, like this is what this is going to look like. Because this might be a discipline thing. Mm -hmm. This might be like another opportunity to train them. Um, And so uh, you could start with like having family worship at home for 20 minutes and just getting them to, that way you're not in a public setting. Yeah, and, and it says the, the mom is the worship pastor, yeah, right? So, right, yeah. she's yeah. leading worship. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, So to be able to do that together with your spouse in your home then mm-hmm. doesn't leave your spouse alone to have to deal out the discipline, but you're getting to train them so that they know what to expect so that when you are at church and you're on stage and your spouse is then mm-hmm. they have they've been equipped and the kids have been equipped with like what to expect yeah. and the response. Um, I would say 20 minutes is not too long to expect. Mm-mm. A five, nine, and 11-year-old. Yeah, I mean, we can do this. Yeah, we've got five, nine, and 11-year-olds that aren't my kids that sit through our whole service. And so I know that it's possible, right. um, but that, that most likely, it's not natural. For yeah. a kid to want to sit for a long totally. time and, and listen to a sermon or no, you whatever. build up
1: to it. If with, if with our kids now, and this is not to brag on our family by any stretch of the imagination, but our kids will sit in the front row by themselves in a weekend mm-hmm. where Chelsea's out of town and I'm preaching. And so that without interrupting the sermon, I would have to interrupt the sermon to discipline them yeah. in that moment. But it didn't start with like, hey, our kids have never been in worship. And now that they're five, now that they're seven, nine, and 11, we're like, hey, why don't you come in and check yeah. out this thing? It started with setting expectations and it started with uh, discipline, saying that's not the way we're going to act, and then giving them some permission to say, hey, if you need to wiggle a little bit, that's okay. We're not going to be loud. You're not going to bother your brothers. Mm-hmm. If you need to go to the restroom, you're going to talk to this brother. He's going to take you.
2: I won't be handing out snacks. No. No, no we're going to eat later. Right? No, no one yeah. in our family is starving, so yeah. we'll be eating later.
1: But we are we have a real clear line against whining or complaining. We also paint the picture for why we're in church.
2: Yeah. yeah. The and uh, The
1: reason I want them to behave also is not so that other people won't, won't think. I'm not saying this question asker is saying this, but I don't want my kids to behave just so people think about me as a good dad or think about them as good kids. Right. I want to understand these are the kids I have. And if they're really rambunctious, then maybe I go, you know what? Our family needs to sit in the back row because not because I'm embarrassed, but because I don't want them to be a distraction to the people around them. Yeah. We also, as a church, I will preach on a regular basis at our family worship weekends. And I'll say things like, hey, we're not going to make any family feel bad by looking over and judging them or hushing them. We're going to let the parents parent. And at the same time, I'll call the parents and say, and this is such a great opportunity to disciple your yes. kids into what it looks like to sit still and listen. And as a pastor, obviously, I have the privilege of saying, I'm going to try to preach in a way or try to lead in a way that will be engaging for yeah. children, understanding they're in the room. Yeah, but that's yeah. a
0: great point, actually. I would, I mean, setting the church's expectations. Yeah. Uh, okay. So if your church is every week has kids in the service, like maybe it's for a month on Sundays, you acknowledge those kids. You like talk to the whole congregation about how there's kids in here, and that's some that's beautiful. And kids, we value, you, we want you in here, so that kids don't just feel like they're participating in something that's for adults only. Yeah. yeah. So that from the leadership of the church, kids feel welcomed in, and I think that that's that goes a long way when a kid feels seen by whoever's talking or leading.
2: Yeah. When our kids were were much younger, so they're seven, nine, and eleven now. When they were much younger, and we went to to the worship service, um, one thing I would do is ahead of time tell them, you know, I want you to listen closely. Um, when daddy's preaching or when whoever's preaching, when she listen closely and afterwards, I want to know like one thing that yes. that you heard or in the village used to do that too with like the little- We like, have sermon no, the, notes the, for kids. Yeah, the note sheets of like kind of what did he talk about? What was the Bible verse and different stuff like that or one question that you had. And while we don't want to um, bribe our kids to behave in church just so that other people think we're good parents or something like that, I will say there's something to be said All sometimes for a, reward. for a small reward. Yep. Um, for meeting expectations and um, for showing respect and kindness to others, yeah. by being not a distraction and to say, if everyone can do this, afterwards, here's what we might do. Yeah, yeah. or you know, I uh, just show me show me your listening ears and afterwards I'm, you know, this is what we'll do if everybody could you know, remember
0: something or whatever. That's good. I worship in prayer, which is our monthly like prayer gathering. We have like prayer sheets for kids and uh our elementary minister sits in the back and you can like go and show and like explain to her what you prayed about and just basically saying yeah. like, you've paid attention, you're participating and we have like a little prize bin. And so that's just something. Legalism. I mean, that's <laughs> We've I'm honestly, but we've been on that. It's like, gosh, we don't want them to only do it because they're getting a prize, but it's also sure. like, it's, it's like a pencil a or a gel pen. Right? Or not.
1: Sometimes a reward and a bribe look very similar. Totally. And you go, okay, well, how are we doing this rightly? And sometimes a coping mechanism uh, is helpful. And sometimes you're like, well, I want them to be able to do this without it. So yeah. if kids have like fidget spinners or kids have you know, the little bubble things that are really uh, the poppets or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, there's there's a kid who sits in the front row at our church who has, uh, has some disabilities and he has a very loud coping mechanism that he uses sometimes. And it doesn't bother me. I'm like, this is great. Uh, And there are kids that cry during our service. And I try never to look, never to judge. I want that mom to feel like if that kid cries, that's all right. But we do draw a line at some point to go like, but let's all disciple. Let's all be united Mm -hmm. in saying like, let's try to help our kids understand that church is not about sitting still and paying attention. It's about honoring the Lord. And that's why we do what we do with Mm -hmm. sitting still, is we want to honor the Lord by listening, hearing from Him. We expect to hear from God during the service. We expect to make much of Him during this. And I can testify, as a kid, I was terrible in church. I could not sit still. I was mischievous. I was thinking about other things. I was like, you know how you do that thing where you push on your eyes until you see like colors and then open? I remember doing that like every Sunday, where I was just like staring at the lights on the (laughs) ceiling and trying to make colors and like and swinging into the aisle off the pew. And my mom, strategically, she would like move me around in different parts of my family. You know, like, hey, you sit this far away, you sit in this pew in front of us. Uh, I remember one time, this is not to shame my mom. My mom was a wonderful, godly woman, but she said to me once, like, there were Sundays where I did not want to go back to that church because of the way you behave. And <laughs> That'll I, preach. But my dad was the pastor. So it was like, yeah, we're going yeah. back every week, you know? Uh, but I know that I can testify, similar to our last question, where... I was a kid who was terribly behaved in church, and yet now I love the Lord and I'm following him. So some of that feeling like doom and gloom, oh no, what does this mean for my family? I don't want us to have this kind of like um, doomsday message where you missed it, you caused it, you're the problem, it's never going to get better. Uh, But I feel like my energy in church as a kid is now a gift from the Lord now, the energy I bring. To different situations, uh, versus you know the the ability to sit still is not necessarily something little boys can do. Self control is a fruit of the spirit. Not all these boys have the spirit, yeah. and not all these boys, not all these girls do either. Yeah. And so treating them like young men are, and 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 having that kind of expectation. Hey, babies are going to cry, and nobody yells at the baby and says, "Why are you crying?" They yeah. just go, "What are we going to do about these tears?" Okay, do we need to leave the room so it's not a distraction, or do we try to calm them yeah. and cope with them and. And yeah, mm-hmm. and both are okay. Then yeah. different churches will have different facilities that allow, like whether it's a cry room or a nursing room or a, a lobby that you take your kid out into. But I just uh, want to encourage everybody to to love the kid you have and make these decisions wisely, whether it's uh, disciplining them publicly or privately, uh, not shaming them, but uh, giving yourself permission to do it in a godly manner. It's good. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit one of our sponsors or share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And we love you listeners. This is our official last episode of the season. But next week, we have Sissy Goff coming on to talk about uh, anxiety with young women. And then we'll have another episode for Father's Day. We love you guys. We'll see you soon.